I like the um, I like heavy metal. Hello and welcome to Heavy Metal Football. Um, This is a podcast where guests from the world of music pick a team of their favourites from the world of football. My name is Liam Baxter and as I will be every week from now until we run out of guests, I'm joined by Matt Powell. The same as they were last week. things on your end? What are we doing? (laughs) Fuck all. Same as they are now, same as they are last week, same as they are next week. Yeah, we were just having a little chat about how long these intros need to be before we get into the intro because no one's doing anything. So (laughs) as and when we get ourselves out of lockdown, we can maybe start making them a bit longer and talk about how our weeks have been. But let's be fair, no one's really doing anything. So except you, I mean, you did like, I wanted to ask you about the whole happy days thing. So that's quite exciting. Um, Talk to me, talk to me about happy days. They're just, yeah, just a new band I started working on last year <laughs> from, from nothing really. They were, it was an old pop punk band called Woes from Scotland. Um, very funny lads. But yeah, Luke, wanted, Luke the uh, guitarist, wanted to start a new band and pretty much the entirety of last year just spent the whole of 2020 writing songs to release. And yeah, we just put the third single out and it got some good playlists on Spotify and that's as much as I've done with my week. But it's uh yeah they're they're decent you should check them out (laughs) yeah there you go a little plug a little yeah like third single to get new music friday is pretty cool so i don't know uh don't know what buttons we pressed on the uh on the big algorithm button site but it seemed to work (laughs) (laughs) yeah wicked um i mean I'd, talk, I'd tell you about my week, but it's been pretty much the same. There's not really a lot going on. I did start marathon training this week on Tuesday morning. So I had to weigh myself on Wednesday and I'm like 10 to 12 kilos over what I should be. So that's kind of what lockdown and Christmas has done. Mm. So I'm basically like yeah, running with a my, dumbbell, at the, like a medium sized dumbbell at the moment. Like My training my is stomach. sitting that's up out of bed and getting out of bed <laughs> is, uh, is my training. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's about as much exercise as most people are doing these days. Um, who? Okay, who have we got on the podcast this week? We have Matt East from Shaded. So Matt gives us a rundown of his very eclectic eleven, um, <laughs> built of it's like a spine of Derby and yeah, Chelsea weird football in so history. It was, quite, it was an interesting in family. Um, he's got very yeah, got very close links with both Derby and Chelsea yeah, that neither of us expected. So. <laughs> I think our reactions to that when he said it, we were like, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, just, just a bit blown away. Just kind of, oh, okay, well, we weren't expecting that. But yeah, no, it was a good chat. Um, and yeah, so that's that's coming up shortly. Um, as, yeah, as I'll be doing, well, as we'll be doing for the first few pods, we're just going to be pumping the tires on our social media channels. So you can find us either on Twitter at Heavy Metal FTBL. 
or on Instagram where we are X Heavy Metal Football X. Um, as discussed last week, in order for the podcast to be a success, we really need the kind of word of mouth advertising more than anything. So subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. Give us five star ratings. Or friends, just Slaters. It's fine. Stories, it's opinion. Slaters. Please help us get the word out. One of the two. Yeah. Any, yeah. Any you want to tell me how I'm wrong and so, have no yeah. reason to be talking about football, I'm more than happy to listen to you. <laughs> yeah, we'll listen. We'll listen to all opinions. Um, Ace, yeah, now that's out of the way. Let's, this is our chat with Matt from Shaded. First of all, Matt, um, tell us something good from the last, you know, the past few months because lockdown has been extremely dull and extremely shit for everyone. So we want to start things off on a good foot. So tell me something good. Something good. Um, tell us something from, good from from my personal life or personal life from you know from from football from okay. anything. Just just let's start off on from a shaded on a good foot, anything. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. So yeah, I mean, we're really we're releasing, well, recording and releasing quite a lot of music at the moment which i guess is the one not to be negative but one of the only positive things going on for me right now um yep. seeing as football is very much in a, in a difficult spot <laughs> um, <laughs> which we will get to <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly um you know in terms of the world trump's out of office that's great i'm sure that's a that's happy days yeah. for everyone some balance restored <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> exactly but no, yeah, we're um, we're keeping ourselves sane. we're recording a lot of music writing a lot of music we're just doing what we can to sort of yeah, just keep ourselves sane while we can't actually get out and perform. Great. I mean, comedy was a great hit. I oh, actually paper. managed to hear it before it came out because your manager sent it to me, which... Oh, really? I'm not going <laughs> to name her and shame her, but... That is a humble brag. <laughs> I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Um, like exclusive good good. Exclu- <laughs> mate, yeah, it was... It, it's, it's a good, great great song. Um, so, yeah, oh, like, talk one. talk me talk me through this uh, this 22 songs in, in 12 mm. months. It's, yeah. So, I feel like, you know, especially in a time where music has become such a fast fashion conveyor belt feel... I feel like especially in in this pandemic era that we're in at the minute you know music it kind of look we've seen so many records come out this last year that i feel like in a normal world you build up to you know you build your album promo your album promo and album campaign up you do all this like you know promotion and you sort of get the tours booked in and whatever and it feels real it feels like a cycle lasts six to 12 months minimum you know most of the time it's a year and a half yeah but with this sort of 22 songs in 12 months obviously like you know we've seen the rap drop become more of a a a permanent fixture within music and especially like midnight drops and just out of the blue but this 22 songs in 12 months is it that is it more of an a more of an attempt to keep some longevity but sort of keep your fans interested you know sort of the way that like tv series now it's all about you know next episode next week and it sort of keeps people on the edge is that the is that the go with it um it's it's a weird one actually because like you said we've hit this weird kind of point where obviously we're in a we're a worldwide pandemic where no one can really do anything in terms of performing and like means of promotion for music at the moment are super super limited um we actually planned this before this is going to sound like i'm saying oh we were doing it before it was cool but we, we actually <laughs> we actually planned this 
like mid to late 2019. Um, and we were just like, at least in our opinions, we were just like, how can we kind of schedule some sort of release plan in which no one's done it before, but in the same breath, we didn't want to do something that we were going to brand as our like debut album. So we were like, you know what, screw it. We've written all this music. Let's just release as much of it as we possibly can over the space of 12 months and see where we're at, where we're at in 12 months and then start thinking about album one and so on and so forth. But yeah, man, like you said, it's just like we're in this weird thing kind of where releasing music just feels like a constant, constant like conveyor belt. And there's been, there's definitely been moments where I've been like, I don't, I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but like when you release music for the first time, like the excitement is just like through the roof. Like yeah, you're, up, you're, up, you're like, you're up all night reading all the tweets, all the Instagram posts, like all the stories, etc. And like, I we feel still, like, we st- sorry, sorry I feel like it's one of those moments, like, you know, when I don't really do it too much. Any, I mean, I don't really post on Twitter at all, to be honest. But back in the day when you got a good tweet and it got a lot of retweets or whatever, <laughs> when that dopamine hit was such a new feeling and you were like, this is awesome. Yeah. But now I, now I'm, I hate it now. But yeah, sure. I feel like with music, especially it's kind of it's something that's there to stay and it's there to sort of create a legacy and it, it sort of like adds a ring to your belt where everything that you're going to put out you can build on and it, it creates this sort of like this platform for you to keep going on for but sure yeah are these are all these songs connected they are yeah so the we've announced it on the socials a little while back the whole project is called a year of you um which is it's kind of like a interconnection between obviously the theme of the of the mixtape or playlist whatever we whatever you want to call it um yeah so it's like an interconnection between the theme of it and obviously the fact that we're aiming to do it over the course of 12 months um but yeah so it's the the whole theme of it just to keep a long story short i was in a very very sort of like toxic toxic relationship for a very long time and uh yeah, I won't go into too much detail. <laughs> we had an interview. <laughs> we had an interview yesterday where I went into a little bit too much detail, so I won't go into it. <laughs> okay. Let's just let's just say it's a toxic relationship with Darby. Cat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was it was it, it was a learning experience. But um, yeah, as 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 is the way with a lot of songwriters, I, the most therapeutic way to sort of like express my feelings towards it was just to write all these songs. And yeah, we're we're super super stoked on what on what's come out the other side of it. Yeah, in terms of um, like, I don't know how this feels because I've never released music before. But like at the moment, you're you're writing and releasing all this music, and yet you can't play it live. Does that? Oh, dude, is yeah. That, is that fr- I know it's obviously a frustrating feeling. Like I can't really. I don't know how to put it into words other than just describe it as like musical blue balls because mm. you can't really. You're releasing all this stuff, and yet you can't play it live. How does yeah. that like feel as a musician? I think, I think that's the main like, that's the main bummer about it because I feel like when we when we used to release music, we'd always sort of plan the release around something that we were doing in the touring circuit, um, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. for example, if we sort of had a tour lined up, but we also had a song that we needed to release this year, we would maybe release it like the week before the tour, give people t- time to like learn the, learn the words, the song, and then we play it live for the first time and it's sick, whatever. But now I think, yeah, that being the main bummer, we're sort of like releasing all this music with no real kind of like... I think subconsciously the end goal of writing and releasing all these songs is thinking like, oh, dude, this is going to slap live. This is going to be sick. Yeah. This is what we can do to this song live and like spice it up. We don't really have that at the moment. I mean, we, we are we are absolutely loving sort of all the writing and recording what we're doing. But 
there is that little sort of like niggle in the back of our minds it's just like yo are these songs actually gonna do anything are we gonna be able to do anything with these songs yeah like the, the cathartic the experience thing... of just like belting out yeah. one chorus exactly yeah that's it. yeah and and then one of the main things that i feel like you you probably miss out i mean i i could say this from my personal experience of touring but like seeing the bands that i've like toured with over the years especially neck deep being the main one that i've toured with for the last eight years seeing them write a record and then sort of see it in mm. demo phase see it coming to fruition in into like a real physical product and then a year later or a year and a half later we've toured the world with it we've done all these tours the songs when i initially listened to them versus a year and a half down the line they're completely different to me oh dude yeah yeah I, th- I think the main thing with us at the moment is that we're sort of like we're, we're just we're just remaining very very hopeful we're trying not to associate the songs with anything else other than the meaning behind the song itself if that makes sense yeah um and kind of in the same breath it's like like i said before we kind of when, when we go to sort of like um to sort of like construct our live set uh we we do we add a lot of elements and we take away certain elements and we almost give the songs totally different totally different feels like we did a um we did like a a charity festival like stay at home festival um a little while back i think it was in maybe when was it october was it five for five no it was um unlock festival it was like a youtube okay. a youtube charity festival um and obviously we're a pop band uh but at the end of backpack what we did was that we turned it like we switched it up went totally half time callum flipped to a distorted guitar pedal and just totally gave the, like the end of the song like a completely different vibe completely different meaning um we do yeah we, we do that with a lot of our songs when we, when we take them to the, to the live circuit are there any you're really looking forward to playing have you got like oh, something in in your pocket that you're like look this is going to absolutely slap when we finally play this live yeah man like <laughs> so comedy is I, i'm really looking forward to playing comedy live um obviously we haven't played live in a while so obviously from a vocal perspective i'm very very nervous about it (laughs) but i think when it gets around to it when it gets around to it we'll be fine but um yeah dude for life and still a stranger i think are my two yeah the two that i'm most looking forward to just because with those i'm picturing such a dramatic like stroby light show super loud bass like you know when you're at a show and you can like feel the bass in your chest yeah, I'm picturing, I'm picturing that with those two. Yeah, the I'm spine so tingling bass. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Wicked. Um, right, let's try. Let, we'll, start, we'll kind of pivot now away mm. from music and towards football. Um, you're a Derby County fan. How um, how did that come about? Are you are they your local club or so, how does that? <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, so my, my my whole pretty much all my family is from on my dad's side at least is from Derby. Um, Right. Yeah, my my dad uh, grew up in 1950s Derby. Um, he was part of the Derby County Board of Directors in the late 70s. Oh, wow. Early 80s. Yeah. Um, all of my brothers, I've got three brothers, two sisters. Um, all three of my brothers and one of my sisters are all Derby fans. Um, but weirdly enough, it wasn't until... I've always been a huge, huge, huge football fan. I've always played football, always watched football every single weekend. But it wasn't really until I was maybe like 12, 13-ish when I properly sort of found my team. I went through that whole phase that all the kids do where they're like, one week they support Arsenal, one week they support Liverpool, next week they support yeah. Chelsea. Um, it <laughs> but was like, happens to so many people. Yeah. No, yeah. exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. 
there's no judgment on this podcast about who or what like when or what team you support <laughs> it's like there's so many people do that at a young age like flip-flop between I mean, certain teams is... until they finally find one that sticks yeah, yeah so we were spoiled for choice from... it was a glut of incredible players scoring incredible goals every week and it was you know yeah i, I think we all did that for sure yeah but um yeah i was i was very very fortunate as well um when I was younger, so my dad went from Derby to ITV and then he went on to Sky Sports. Um, and Sky Sports had a box at Stamford Bridge, um, obviously post or like, you know, incoming Roman Abramovich era. <laughs> yeah. So we uh, we went to a lot, of, um, a lot of Chelsea games. And I think because my dad had experienced such extreme highs and then such devastating lows with Derby County, he was like, no, I do not want my youngest son to be a Derby fan. <laughs> I cannot put this upon him. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, no, it wasn't until I was like 12, 13 where I really, really sort of fell in love with the club. Um, and yeah. So what year, is, what year is that? What what kind of year are we talking here? Uh, like, how old was I? So it was when I was around 13, which is 11 years ago now. So it was around okay. 2000 and... I think it was 2000... Actually, you know what? I think it was 2006. Oh, okay. 2006. So is that Jesus. your, is that your so kind of golden age for Derby? Then what's... When you think of... <laughs> 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 The golden age. <laughs> yeah, what's that? What's like the kind of golden age for Derby County? Oh, okay, you? <laughs> golden age. So, <laughs> for me in my lifetime, I've got two. Um, first one, obviously, is the I will put my hands up. The very undeserved Premier League promotion. <laughs> right. Getting absolutely battered in that playoff final to score an absolute <laughs> score an absolute snatch and grab, <laughs> and uh, get promoted. But obviously, you know. We showed that we weren't good enough to be in that position anyway because we got the uh, <coughs> record lowest points. Um, yeah. <laughs> second golden age we'll of my lifetime. Later. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> second golden age of my lifetime is... This is a tough one because I think the season where I felt, you know, that really euphoric moment in football where, for example, if your team scores a goal like you just don't know what to do with your limbs like you don't yeah. know what to do with your body you don't know what to say anything comes out of your mouth that sort of thing that was actually i experienced the most of that in the frank lampard season when i probably went oh, okay. to my most obviously i live in london and yeah yeah so it's, it's a lit I, I i'm not i'm not quite at that stage where i can become a season ticket holder just yet but it was the season where i went to the most games i've ever been to um, I think I went to maybe half of the games in the season. I can't remember. Um, yeah. But yeah, that was just that season was just full of unbelievable euphoric moments. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I think that's like I in mean, terms that... of asking about like golden ages as well. It's just quite interesting because I think people fans will have fondness like a fond a real like in depth fondness for a certain vintage of side. So yeah. whether it's a success or not, I'm just always really interested to find out like where at what period you sort of had your like first kind of favorite players and stuff and when you started to fall in love with the club or if it comes a bit later on like it was well like the 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 one that you said like the second golden age for you is like well after you fell in love with the club and it just happened Mm. to be like a season when you went to every other game or something like that yeah yeah i think yeah i think like you said it was kind of I think I, th- I think the moment when I really started falling in love with like you know the players and everything about the club was I don't know if you guys I, I, I'm not sure how sort of much you guys know about Derby but I think it was around the time when the youth academy really really started honing in and popping off and when players like Will Hughes were coming through yeah like uh, Mason Bennett yeah. Mason Bennett George Thorne players like that that was when I think how old was I then maybe like 15 16 maybe a bit younger um, 
that was when I really, really started investing sort of myself and my time and my money into the club. Um, and yeah, funnily enough, he's not in my in my main eleven, which we're going to get to later. But Will Hughes is one of my all time favorite derby players, without a doubt. <laughs> Very underrated as well. Like, I mean, everybody that I think it was. Oh, for sure, yeah. It was it was he in the team that year? They lost the playoff final to QPR, but he then moved to Watford. I'm pretty sure he was, it was yeah. After. Or did he was? I might be. Wrong. He was, yeah. But yeah, very underrated player. I'm. It's. I'm surprised. Uh, I'm surprised no Premier League club snapped him up. For sure, yeah. I think it was just. I think it was a case of back then. I don't think people were willing were really willing to take the punt on the young talent unless they were a Cristiano Ronaldo or a Wayne mm. Rooney at 16. Because he broke into the side really young, didn't he, under Nigel Clough. So he was there really for like 16, 17, yeah. There used to be, um, I think there was like a, a feature with him, on, like Football Focus or something like that. Yeah. And he always seemed to have a really old head on such a young shoulders. That's, he spoke really well at such a young age. That seems to be the case with a lot of the Derby youngsters. I don't know if I'm being biased, but like, there's a guy we've got on our side at the moment called Louis Sibley. Um, he's, yeah. he's the closest thing I've ever seen to Will Hughes. He's an unbelievable player. But... Yeah, him, Jason Knight, like you said, Mason Bennett, Will Hughes, and all the mm-hmm. post-match interviews, they seem really, really sort of like grounded and down to earth. I don't know, maybe it's just like, maybe it's like a Derby, kind of like the culture of Derby thing. I don't know. Yeah, because Knight captain, I think this, we're recording this like a couple of days after Knight captained the club for the first time. So, and yeah. he's, he's still a teenager, right? Yeah, 19, yeah. Yeah. Damn. Yeah, wild. I mean, I feel like, not to relate, I'm going to do it anyway, but Joe Worrell from uh, Forest, he's sort yeah. of he's sort of got that the same kind of thing that you're describing. I remember there was this mm. um, this like I think it was it was two years ago, three years ago maybe we got beat by Wolves and he sort of cemented his like claim to be the captain. He did this post match interview and they were like, "What went wrong today, Joe?" And he was like, "We were just second best all over the park. We didn't we didn't run. We didn't we didn't try. It's not good enough. More effort." And from that moment, it was like. He's, yeah. know, he's forest through and through so I can definitely relate yeah do you think do you think it was specifically that that sort of solidified his his name at the club because I feel like that happens to quite a few players I feel like they have this one sort of moment or this one spur of confidence and that completely changes the game for them at their, at their I clubs. think it was I think it was the fact that because he's you know is Dale Sibley from Derby yeah yeah so I feel like with Joe Worrell he's a, he's a Nottingham lad like you know, he he comes, he comes into the side as a young lad with something to prove, and he sees this team around him that some of them don't look interested or bothered to play for his boyhood club. So he's going to give it that extra twenty percent effort, and even just that extra twenty percent, you know, putting everything everything he possibly can into it, it's it's evident to see. And from that point, it's like he's starting to stamp authority that he cares, as opposed to he's just playing to. I'm not saying footballers play to get paid, but you do often not see three or four coasters in a team that are just there because, yeah, they yeah. have the technical ability and prowess to be there. But, you know, if if they could get a move to somewhere where they think is more fanciful, they'll definitely jump at the first chance. Oh, so I feel sure. like, yeah, I was, I, yeah, sense, I was... you know, sorry, go on. No, yeah, I was, I was just going to add to that. I feel like clubs need that kind of that kind of head at their club because you get, you do see a lot, especially I've seen it quite a lot recently in the championship. You get a lot of sort of like fairly, you know, reputable foreign names coming over looking to use the clubs as stepping stones. And if things don't go their way straight away, they sort of like down tools and and sort of just kick up a fuss. Which I think where we've been quite lucky, actually, because obviously we've had 
God, I don't want to go into detail of how much money we've spent in the last few seasons, but I think we've been. <laughs> I think I think what's happening to us now would have happened many, many, many moons ago had we have not had that sort of like spine of really dedicated sort of like Derby lads. I mean, Max Bird as well. He's one's. He's another coming through, isn't he? He's... He is. Yeah, he's he's a weird one. He's he's a really really talented player, but he just he hasn't really. I don't think a manager that we've had of the past sort of like three years. Has re- I know he's only just sort of like in that period sort of broken into the side. But I don't think he's really kind of found a manager that can fit him into their philosophies and into their kind of, yeah, into their style of play. I feel like he's going to have a very, very difficult time competing with Bielik, who is kind of, in in a weird way, kind of the exact same player. Um, mm-hmm. But obviously with politics behind the scenes, obviously we have to be playing Christian Bielik every game that he's fit because he cost the club 10 million quid. Yeah, I was going to say, is he, is he signed on a permanent now? Because I know he was on loan from Arsenal for a while. Bielik, no, no, yeah, he was, no, he was, he was permanent, I believe, when was he permanent? Two years ago now, I think. No, yeah, two oh, okay. years ago. Yeah, we paid 10 million, 10 million quid for him. Oh, okay, wow. Yeah. What was the first name and number you got on the back of a Derby shirt? And obviously when it comes to your club, everybody has their favourite shirt. Which Which one would be yours? Do you want the honest answer? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it was East Seven. <laughs> oh no, you got you gone for your own. That's fair enough. I was That's one fine. of them. No, uh, yeah. it was it was it was East Seven. But then in uh, I believe it was the two thousand and two thousand fourteen fifteen season. I got Johnny Russell Seven. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, but yeah, I had that same East Seven shirt for. So what one's that? What what are we look? What are we talking here? What uh, is it? Kappa or no? It's a it was the, uh, Adidas. Um, uh, the Adidas Bombardier. Oh, okay. The... So is this the is this the 0708 one? <laughs> it is, you know. Yeah, it is. is yeah. It? yeah. Yeah, because that's that's come up once or twice now already that season. Like, there's been a lot of talk on. I, I listen to Talksport and Six Oh Six every now and again, and yeah. because Sheffield United are doing so bad this season, the constant running theme is: Will they break the Derby record? Are you one of the Derby fans that have like a strange like affection for that team? Like, do you want to keep hold of that record points total, or would you rather someone just took it off you? Because uh, it seems to be about fifty fifty. Absolutely not. I want it gone as soon as you possible. want it gone. Okay, <laughs> Mate, <fair>. honestly. <laughs> because the thing is, right when we get close, like we did under Lampard, uh, and like we did against QPR, where we literally fell short to that um, that Zamora goal. In situations like that, it's just sort of like it's just it's bait for all the neutral football fans to be like, oh, classic derby, classic derby. Uh, yeah. And we, we've constantly got that cloud lingering over our heads. I want to kind of, mm. I know we don't deserve it and we probably won't for a little while, but I want mm. that kind of, I hate to say it, but that Leeds United mentality of like, we can get to the Premier League. We deserve to be in the Premier League like we used to. Yeah. Because um, that's the thing about derby. Like for, for me, they are a, like a quintessential Premier League club because they were in the, I think, the Premier League always feels to whoever you are like the the twenty teams that belong in the Premier League are always the teams from when you're about twelve or thirteen. Yeah. And Derby were in the Premier League when I was about twelve or thirteen, so I always think it's like Derby, Coventry, Sheffield Wednesday. They should all be in the Premier League because oh, really? that's what I think of them. Yeah. And yeah. so for Derby not to be around in in the Premier League has always seems a little bit weird to me. And I mm. yeah, I, I always hear like some fans will call into six oh six and say like, oh, I actually weirdly want to keep that record because it's something that we can, you know, just whenever someone has a really bad season, our name always comes up and it's good to always be in the public conscious. And then there's other people like yourself that are just like, no, get it gone. Yeah. The, the, the sooner someone is shitter than us, the better. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, 
I, I hear what you're saying. I, I disagree to an extent purely because, and I'm going to use Leeds United as an example here. They yeah. weren't in the Premier League for 16 years. Mm-hmm. They play in a stadium that is, what's the exact? I'm trying to remember the exact capacity of Ellen Road. Is it like 20? Like, I think it's like 35 actually. Oh really? Okay. Let me have a look. Google, yeah. I, I think it's quite. I think it's quite a small ground considering. 37,890. But to see Leeds fans saying, oh, we're back where we belong, you know, mm-hmm. we're a Premier League club, this, that and the other. I'm like, it's been 16 years. I don't think people <laughs> realise how much football has changed in 16 years. Like, yeah, 2004 was 16 years ago. That feels like a lifetime ago. Yeah. It was a complete, you know, football... I mean, the whole landscape of football has changed. Like, I mean, I know Leeds have had, you know, rich investment now and they're trying to keep up, but... Yeah, yeah, I, I just don't understand it. I personally, I'm going to be completely up, like, to be honest here, I don't think Derby deserves to be in the Premier League and I don't think we mm. are ready for it. I don't think we're going to be ready for it for at least maybe five, six years. Um, especially if the takeover happens, I think doing a Wolves is going to be very, very dangerous. Um, right. Taking a punt, spending, you know, hundreds of millions of pounds on all these players and, you know, hoping to get promoted first season to try and pay off all the debts. Yeah. I don't think we're the kind of club that can achieve that. Um, but we'll see. we'll see we'll see what happens it's football do you feel um, so we're kind of recording this podcast just days after Wayne Rooney takes over so yeah. how how confident are you or how excited are you that you know Wayne Rooney's taken over is, is his first official coaching role and he has now been given sort of the permanent manager's chair how are you feeling optimistic or I I'm, I'm so I, I wasn't very optimistic when when there was talk of it I think now that it's been confirmed and there's that kind of like element of the club's kind of settling a little bit I feel like I'm a little bit more at ease with it. I feel like I think my main concerns were that I, I said it to uh, I said it to Matt before we started recording this that we've just got such a naive owner at the moment, and I cannot wait for this takeover to happen. Um, Is that Mel Morris? Is he yeah, still around? Mel Morris, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we've got such a naive owner, and I think being in the position where we've that we've been in for the last few years, where it's been like we're spending all this money, we've got these players on these outrageous wages in comparison to the other clubs. We need we need a promotion, yet we are putting all of our faith in these young, inexperienced, uh, or players turned managers. I mean, Frank Lampard worked out uh, to an extent. I feel like that was very fortunate. I feel like he was blessed with good contacts and yeah, you know, Mason Mount players was... that outshone the championship uh, in yeah, Mason Mount absolutely. and Harry Wilson. Tamori um, as well had a good season. I feel like, yeah, exactly, yeah. I feel like Lampard got very lucky because. Personally, I don't think he has any philosophies to his game or to the game that he's trying to implement. Um, yeah, I, I, I think he just got very lucky. I'm very, very hopeful, but I'm a little bit nervous about Rooney. I'm not going to lie. Right, okay. Have you seen anything so far that make you think that he will be a good coach? Um, or is it still too early to tell? I think it's a little bit too early to tell. I think the 4-0 win against Birmingham a couple of weeks back was purely... I think that was purely down to the players. I think it was the first time in weeks where all the players have got their heads together and just all been on the same kind of wavelength. 
Um, it was a very scrappy win, but it was a four nil win. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm nervous. <laughs> I'm very nervous about it. I'm not gonna lie because we are flirting. We're flirting with League One. Let's be honest. Yeah, so if he felt like if he starts the season, really, I was really surprised to see. I mean, definitely to see you below QPR anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Considering how bad we've been. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, you discuss some players. Why don't we? We'll discuss some more. Um, do you want to? Do you want to introduce your eleven? Do you want to discuss any of the formation, the philosophy that you've tried to implement into the team? Or it would be my pleasure. So okay. we are. Um, team name is AC Me Rolling. Um, <laughs> very official. <laughs> uh, manager. Um, so, so j- just to clarify, this is sort of like our ideal team of sort of like, you know, our lifetime in football. It's just what we asked for, I think, is what we asked for was just pick 11 players that you love yeah, yeah or yeah. have an affection towards or just, I don't think either of us were looking for like a, a, a world 11 or like a best yeah, yeah, ever 11. Yeah. It's just 11 players that you feel you can wax lyrical about okay, for perfect. five or 10 minutes each and have fun with it. I think that's perfect. all we wanted, really. <laughs> um, so manager... Not my lifetime, but incredible nonetheless. Gone with Brian Clough um, for, oh, obvi- yeah. for obvious reasons. Um, mm-hmm. Arguably the man that that brought Derby County to life and turned them into a, a competitive football club. Um, and then made history Brian's with playing Nottingham Forest. Bri- well, yeah, and made history, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I had to do that. <laughs> um, Brian's playing a... Couldn't resist, could you, mate? <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't. Brian's playing a a fairly rigid uh, a fairly rigid four four two. Okay. We're gonna go. We're gonna go fairly counter attacking. Um, yeah. And Changwan, it's a brilliant save. It's a brilliant save by Buffon. Oh, it's a fantastic save because it wasn't the worst penalty that you'll see. He's kept it low, but it's a good saveable height for Buffon. And yes, it was a penalty. Panucci pulling and chugging, there's no need for it. Let's hope that sorts things out at corners for the rest of the tournament. But let's start in goal. We've gone with uh, Jean-Louis Buffon, who is, in my opinion, yeah, my opinion, the best kind of eccentric shot stopper of all time. Um, Mm -hmm. Sorry, Neuer, I'm not really a fan of of sweeper keepers. They make me nervous. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, Yeah, I mean, in my opinion, easily one of the best goalkeepers of all time. Um, you know, he's won countless, countless trophies. Ten Serie A's. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, 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 the longevity of Buffon as well. Like, the the fact that he's uh, that he made his debut in, like, the 90s and now he's still playing. So he's played across four decades. Yeah. The 90s, the 2000s, the 10s, and then obviously the 20s as well. Like, the longevity to be able to do that at the, the highest level, to move between, well, like, Parma, then Juventus, and then PSG, and then back to Juve again, and just to consistently play as either a first choice or a second choice yeah. in... Champions League games and stuff like it's really really difficult to do there's not many players whose careers span that many decades for sure it's a yeah. very rare breed and like you nine, said about him sorry go on Matt 922 appearances as well which is just phenomenal it's so I don't know whether he will crack the 1000 mark but it's because he is what 40 41 42 now and i mm. think to crack the 1000 mark you'd probably need to play three full seasons still so that's that's asking something considering yeah. the position he's in at juve but i would love to see that happen for him to crack a thousand games i mean i feel like if if any player's gonna do that a goalkeeper is probably the most probable one especially in being oh 18, yeah the career yeah the career of a goalkeeper yeah. is yeah, he's 78 appearances off. So like you say, another three seasons, but 
considering like you know Buffon in his even in his in his like career now I feel like put him in any Premier League team he'd still be it'd still be number one choice wouldn't he not any Premier League team but like maybe the lower half of the Premier League teams he'd still, he'd still sure. probably be better than then first choice goalkeeper <laughs> but it's like, it's like you have sorry Liam it's like you touched on before the fact that he kind of had had his career at Juve went to PSG came back to Juve it's like players like Henri have tried it players like Drogba have tried it with Arsenal and Chelsea I feel like Buffon yeah. is one of the only players to kind of be this one club man and then say you know look, I'm taking this final step in my career, going to PSG, playing in a different league, different country. And then to say, actually, you know what? I'm up for the Serie A again. Come back at the age of 42 and slide straight into the first team again. Yeah. and the, the, It's an un- unbelievable thing to be able to do. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, as well, like, like you mentioned, Matt, I feel like the career of a goalkeeper is just so, like you said, incredibly, I guess, I guess more sustainable is the right word. Yeah, um, I mean they they yeah. peak later, don't they? I think that the it's it's not the fact that he broke into the Palmer first team so young and yeah. was able to sustain that level of performance right up until his forties and is obviously still going to an extent. Mm. Like it helps that his peak was later, but he also started as a teenager. Like so, it means that his career can be a lot longer. Where I, I yeah. guess I don't know if you're a, a I don't know a striker or a midfielder, your peak might be like twenty five, twenty six, and by the time you get to thirty, you're kind of bro- like your your knees are gone. You're kind of broken down a bit, like I don't know, like a Michael Owen or someone. Yeah, your career's never going to break it into the forties, but for a goalkeeper, it's you know he he has the opportunity to do that. I gotta be honest, he's been he was at Juve for so long, I totally forgot he started at Palmer. Yeah, it was quite early, I think. Yeah. I think he left Palmer after a couple of seasons and then went to and was just at Juve for the majority of his career. Like, yeah. is there a performance or like a game that you can pick out and be like, that's that's my favorite? Like, oh, that's wow. fun. I just want—I just that's look a, at like trying to pinpoint exactly why he's in the team. That's a difficult over, question. Over anyone else, I think. I think the main, yeah, the main sort of highlight for me was, it's actually it actually applies to quite the, quite a few players that are in this in this team. When yeah. I was younger, I had this VHS tape of the. It was like a three-hour tape, and it was every single highlight of the two thousand and two uh, World Cup in oh. Korea. Was it? Uh, yeah, it yeah. was. And I just remember the, 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 the two teams that I absolutely fell in love with were obviously Brazil and Italy. Mm-hmm. And Buffon yep. was one of the absolute hands-down standouts from that entire tape. Just his, yeah. yeah, like I said, his eccentricity with his players. Like every time, like every every time, sort of his you know defender would make a challenge, he'd be storming out of the box, like screaming and <laughs> screaming in their faces, like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's, I think uh, yeah, he's one of those players to me that's sort of like, as well as you know being incredible at his job, he's also he seems like a really really sound personality and a really good player to have like in the dressing room and on the pitch. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's why PSG tried to pick him up, isn't it? They they thought that they didn't have enough leadership in the in like the locker room. Yeah, and they were like, oh look, come over, you know, replace. I think they he replaced Kalon Navas or. Who did he replace? I Ari- think, uh, anyway, he replaced the first choice keeper. Yeah, Ariola, Ariola, was it? Yeah. It was yeah. to win yeah. the Champions League, wasn't it? it I think he, yeah. he was like trying to do it to win the Champions League, which pulled that quote, um, the Juve-Real Madrid semi-final, where I yeah. think Real Madrid needed to overturn, was it like two-goal deficit? And they got a penalty in the last oh, minute. Yeah. Michael Oliver was refereeing the game, and Buffon yeah. storms out to him, and the quote is literally, I think Buffon said this to Michael Oliver, you cannot have a heart in your chest, but a bin. <laughs> 
called Dustbin for a Heart. Yeah, yeah, it's because because yeah. uh, they because that was the I think Juve had pulled it. I think they lost four one at home, and then they won. They were winning three nil away. I think Matuidi squeezed, squeezed the goal in it when like the 80th. Yeah, yeah. And, and so they're 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 going through with like 93 minutes on the clock, and then Michael Oliver blows for a penalty, and Ronaldo scores to make it three one Juve, but with that goal going in that puts Real Madrid through that that was it that was a, oh, that was such an intense game yeah <laughs> I felt so sorry for him yeah oh no the thing is, yeah I think I think moving to PSG in search of a Champions League is always going to be a bit of a gamble I mean don't get me wrong I'm sure his salary was absolutely handsome but yeah but yeah, I mean that that that's why I'm really really keen to see. I know I know it's probably not going to happen purely because of the name that he's made for himself in France and because of the brand that PSG is. But I think it's the reason why I really really wanted to see Neymar play in the Premier League. Oh, yeah. um, right, okay. Obviously, he's been he's been fantastic on like World Cup stages, but as has been proven with quite a few players, like James Rodriguez, for example, in that World Cup. What was it? Twenty. Ooh, was it twenty fourteen? Twenty fourteen. Unbelievable. Went to Bayern, went to Madrid, didn't quite work out for him. I'm really, really well, I was really, really keen to see that happen with Neymar. I'm in a right, uh, I'm in a I'm in a uh in a WhatsApp group with a load of uh, load of my mates that are football fans and we are big advocates of like whenever a player's doing well in Europe, we're just kind of like, Can he do it in the Premier League though? <laughs> yeah, we wanna see Neymar. Cold play wet wind Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, literally. I want <laughs> to see Neymar. Ben, ben play me Burnley. would go through him. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. I would love to see that. <laughs> All right, that's uh, the the defense. You've got some really interesting choices in the back four. So yeah. um, let's go through them one by one. So, like we said, this is you know this is just I'm not under any circumstances saying this is, in my opinion, the best back four. <laughs> <laughs> we just want favorites. Personal favorites. Uh, let's start with tell you what. Let's start with left back. Okay. Um, Roberto Carlos. One of the, if not the best set piece taker of all time. Uh, yeah. Sorry, Beckham. Um, <laughs> yeah, unbelievable going forward. Sound defensively. Uh, you know, he's, ba- he's Marcelo is basically following in his footsteps. Very similar players. Yeah. I love mm-hmm. that kind of fullback, like the Andy Roberts, Andy Robertson. Um, Centre back, Marcel Desailly from Chelsea. He is, he's probably one of the first. Um, like I mentioned, when I started going to, to Chelsea games when I was a lot younger, he was one of the first first kind of players that I sort of really had like an eye on in terms mm. of like how they were orchestrating the game and what they were doing on the pitch. He's also the first football player that I ever met. So I think that's, oh, that's why cool. that's why he sits, he has, he has a little place in my heart. <laughs> so where did that happen? That was absolutely years ago. It was 2000 and... Ooh, when was that? I think I met him in 2000 and... 2003 possibly okay so he's still he's still at Chelsea at this point then I believe I think think so I think it could have been I think actually it might have been the season after his final season at Chelsea Uh, it's when yeah so like like I mentioned we were were really fortunate that we got to watch um, watch some of the games in a box and I think he was in the box kind of one box along from us Um, and obviously being small and being very excited by the thought of meeting a footballer, I ran straight over and gave him a, gave him a big hug. <laughs> <laughs> How was he receptive to that? Or what? Oh yeah, yeah, he was trying to shoo you from, away. From what I remember, I was very young. But from what I remember, he was yeah, he was he was he was very sound. Um, I mean, he was a mean so defender. Yeah, that's my left back. You always see photos of him smiling. Uh, <laughs> so 
I believe this is probably Matt's Matt's favourite of the team. Uh, right centre back, we've gone of gone with possibly the best ball playing centre back. <laughs> One of the best ball playing centre backs in the history of world football. Uh, we've gone with Richard <laughs> Keogh of of Derby County. <laughs> excellent, excellent choice. There's that. That's someone that, but I think all three of us can talk about for a little while on this podcast. Yeah, I mean, obviously, obviously, I'm I'm half joking. But what I will say, where I will give him his credit, is that the Frank Lampard season, we would have come nowhere near close, and we would have achieved nowhere near what we achieved if it wasn't for Richard Keogh. Hmm. I will say that. Under Frank Lampard, I personally don't think, and I can say this with confidence looking back and sort of reliving some of the big games, I don't think we would have achieved anywhere near what we achieved um, in terms of performances, in terms of confidence. I know, obviously, we didn't quite make the cut to go up, but I don't think we would have achieved any sort of anywhere near what we did if it wasn't for having Richard Keogh in that team. Um, I feel like... I feel like he's... I've said this before, and I feel really bad about saying it, but if we're looking at it from a negative side, and if I've got anything bad to say about him, I feel like he's a poor man's David Luiz. I feel like <laughs> he is just a rash challenge or a horrific mistake waiting to happen. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. I can see that. that's always been something that's held above Richard Keogh's head, is that a, a sturdy presence at the back most of the time, yeah. with a big asterisk above most of the time. <laughs> yeah, And he's like... Yeah, he's like a firecracker that's just waiting to go off. You don't know when he's going to pick up the ball and go on some outrageous outrageous run lose the ball on the halfway line and get countered with like a four on two but yeah. <laughs> i've seen that happen many a time <laughs> but no he's in there he's yeah i'll always have a have a soft spot for keogh um yeah there's i think well i mean so will i because, because as a as a cool Smart rangers fan i was saying i was saying to matt earlier when we got your team through yesterday i was like i'm so glad that richard keogh is yeah. in there <laughs> because yeah. The, the the I mean the greatest day of my life. I even I even said this during my 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 groom speech at my wedding that the best day of my life was Queen's Park Rangers beating Derby one 0 in the playoff final in twenty fourteen. Yeah. And if, for Christmas that year, I bought my uncle who I was there with a framed print of the the Zamora goal going in. And obviously in that picture you've got Richard Keogh, um, who's just made the defensive mistake as the ball falls to Zamora. You've got his face yeah. just absolutely shocked as the ball goes in. And I. I will always have a soft spot for Richard Keogh because of that moment. So, just, <laughs> and to, just just to touch on that game, I'm actually interested because I don't think I've spoken to a QPR fan about this. One hundred percent honesty. Yeah. Do you think you deserve to win that game? No, God no. No, no, we stole that game. Um, I was I was in the I was in the like literally in the in the up in the gods for that game. Um, yeah. We bought three. So myself, my uncle, and my cousin went. We bought three tickets and we couldn't get any of the three near each other so we were dotted around the the end the QPR oh, end. Wow. we so I was sat next to a father and son uh who obviously I'd never met I was sat next to a guy on my right hand side who I'd never met and the entire way through all four of us were just really really quite depressed at how badly we were playing through the first half we then got Gary O'Neill sent off with like half an hour left to go I yeah. want to say yeah we played a lot of the game down to 10 men and I I I I didn't like any of that season, to be honest, because I didn't think the the money that we'd spent and the players that we bought in under Harry Redknapp that year were subpar. We bought in a lot of players, randoms like Javier Chevanton, who played like two games for us and then disappeared again. Um, yeah. We uh, the 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 tactics that that season weren't great, and it was it was it was a season when we just got relegated and should have gone up as champions, considering the squad we had, and yet we just kind of scraped the playoffs. We 
managed to beat yeah. Wigan in semi-final. And that game against Derby, up until Zamora's winner in the 89th minute, was just, I had my head in my hands the whole time. And so, yeah, I'll more than happily admit that we did not deserve to go up that game. Derby were robbed, but it's, you know, I mean, we did the robbery, so I can't complain. <laughs> yeah, sometimes sometimes all you need in that, like like we've very much experienced in that 2007 season uh, playoff final against West Brom, all yeah. you need is that one snatch and grab moment. I think it's testament to managers like Redknapp and mm. in our case, like Billy Davies, where you can keep the spirit so high in the team that when it gets to like those latter stages, like the, you know, the 85th minute onwards, and you're yeah. getting dominated, possession, you know, shots on mm-hmm. target, you've, you've camped in your own half. And it's like, it's like another example I use is Chelsea versus Barcelona in the 2012 Champions, Champions League final. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. All you need is that one snatch and grab moment. And I think, I think it's a lot more difficult than people think it is because to find that spirit, it all comes from the manager. I think Redknapp is probably one of my favourite, favorite, he's, he's up there in my sort of like... In my in my group of yeah, favourite managers of all time, purely he's pu- not managed your club yet though. <laughs> Wait until he ma- when he manages your club, you'll feel completely different about the man. <laughs> also, was that was that the Ad- was Adel Tarat was that pre or post Adel Tarat? I can't remember. Oh, that's post. That's post. post. So okay. we had so Tarab's like the streets won't forget season was um, 2010 11, and then by 2014 15, I think he was. I, I want to say he was at AC Milan that year. Um, oh my god, he was, wasn't he? on loan or something like that. yeah he'd he'd gone on to do i mean next to nothing by that point so no this is post to wrapped unfortunately okay i mean he seems to be doing all right but, with benfica people well, seem yeah, to be well, singing his praises that. a little bit is he there now i think he is i didn't yeah, realize he was still he was playing there. wow that's interesting yeah fair um anyway sorry i got i got sidetracked um right back this is going to be a bit of a controversial one as well but in my opinion, during this season, which I believe was the 2015-16 season, in my opinion, best right wing back or best right back in the world that season, Victor Moses at Chelsea. That's a very out of the blue choice. Go, Enjoying it though. <laughs> go, go, going forward and very surprisingly defensively, in my opinion. So this is Conte's, is this his first season at Chelsea? Right? First season, yeah. Right, okay. So yeah. he's won the title this year, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah in my opinion, yeah, it was, it was a no-brainer for me. The only player I can really kind of compare him to is last season's or the Champions League winning season, Liverpool, um, Trent Alexander-Arnold. Okay. Going forward and, like I said, very surprisingly defensively as well. He was super, super sound. Yeah. And for the first time, this was the first time that I'd ever seen Victor Moses actually have some final product. And by final okay. product, I mean putting a decent ball into the box for Diego Costa to, you know, to head up, to put away. Yeah. It's, he's quite a really interesting choice because he, Moses was moved around a bit, wasn't mm. he? Because I think he was a 10 for a while. Yeah. And then maybe a right, like on the, on the right of a, you know, like a attacking trident of like a 4-2-1, a 4-2-3-1. Yeah. And then I remember at the start of that season where I think Conte's Chelsea lost quite badly at Arsenal. And... Then he changed to like a three four three, and it was Victor Moses on the right hand side of that. Yeah, and was just seemed to be like unplayable, like like just a world class right wing back from that point on. <laughs> yeah, I think I think so much of that right wing back position comes down to stamina as well. Yeah, and similar yeah similar to Trent and Andy Robertson of the Liverpool side, he was 
it was it was just um it was incredible to watch the engine he had for 90 minutes every single week was just phenomenal because he's been re-signed by Conte now at Inter so there's yeah. obviously something I think it must be like right player right system right manager yeah exactly and it all just clicks very well with what like in, in it just seems to slot into this one position in this one sort of tactical setup under this one man who knows how to get the most out of him so exactly yeah that's yeah. a blessing and maybe a bit of a curse as well um, <laughs> as was proven under Sarit, I believe. <laughs> yeah, but um, yes, that's my that's my back four, my not at all controversial back four. Um, <laughs> so midfield four, Here midfield we go. from left to right, we've got Johnny Russell from Derby, we've got Ronaldinho from Barca, Juan Román Riquelme from Boca, and Man United's Cristiano Ronaldo, as opposed to Real Madrid's Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, okay. Johnny Russell uh, was the, like I said, the first kind of, the first player that I actually sort of had on the back of a Derby shirt. Martin, now Russell. Russell takes it on. That is absolutely stunning from Johnny Russell. A firecracker into the back of the forest net. And it's four for Derby. He is, in my opinion, the only Derby player I mean, maybe bar Will Hughes, the only Derby player of perhaps the last, I want to say, decade that mm-hmm. deserved his chance to be a Premier League footballer. Oh, okay. Um, I think he, yeah, he, he's one of my favourite Derby players of all time. He's up there with you know Bryson and one chop and players like that. Um, I love Craig Bryson. Oh, mate. I don't, I don't like <laughs> he, he was when someone... he left. Yeah, he was always someone that I I don't know how much stock was put into this, but it was always someone that like we were linked with, and I was always really excited because I loved watching Craig Bryson and the like, and just the, the job that he did for the team. Yeah, um, he was always someone that I really hoped like the deal would get over the line, but I don't know whether that was ever a case or not. But it yeah, seems... Craig Bryson is always someone that I have an affection for. for I think that could have been an aging thing, you know, because okay. I always felt as though. Craig Bryson, especially towards the end of his derby career, he was a bit of a fringe player that was put in for the big games. Um, right, okay. As was proven uh, with the hat trick against Nottingham Forest. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think I think a lot of that sort of linking to other clubs must have been something behind the scenes with his agent because, yeah, he always seemed like a bit of a fringe player, and I don't know if maybe he was unhappy about that or because I know that he loved the club. I know that he loved playing for the club. He loved wearing the shirt, but. Yeah, I don't know. I was I was gutted when he left. I was absolutely gutted. If what I would give John- to have a player like Craig Bryson sitting in that deep line playmaker role right now, <laughs> things I would give. <laughs> Johnny Russell was somebody that we we touched on briefly. Was Johnny Russell was one of those like crop mm. of Scottish players? Like there was the David Goodwillie thing when he moved from I, th- I think he moved from Aberdeen to Blackburn. There's Stevie May scored loads of goals for. Uh, St Johnston or so I think it was and then moves down there's Gary Mackay Stephen Billy uh, uh, Barry McKay as well Kenny Miller all Kenny Miller all these technically Mm. gifted Scottish players that they get their chance somewhere and it seems to either go terribly wrong or just a bit bit mediocre and then they sort of disappear isn't Johnny Russell playing in America now I think he left he's playing in America now yeah I think yeah yeah, I think where where Johnny Russell was a bit of a blessing is that he came in, um, oh, for the life of me, I can't remember the name of the club that he was at before. It was, was it Dundee? I, I think say, it was Dundee. Dundee. I think it was Dundee, Dundee yeah. I think it was Dundee United, yeah. yeah. Um, he came in um, with absolutely no expectations 
and mm. no pressure on on his back because I, th- I don't think I don't think he was kind of playing out of his skin at Dundee. I think he was just kind of a very very technically gifted player that sort of went under the radar a little bit. Um, and I don't think we paid very much money for him at all either. Um, I think that's where it was a bit of a blessing because yeah, he came into the derby with absolutely no pressure, no expectations, and I mean, I mean, he shone. He completely shone this, the first season that he was yeah. with us. But yeah, I think so much of it, especially with especially with players that come from, I don't want to say lesser leagues because I feel like that's quite patronising, but like leagues with sort of like a, a lower reputation, like the Scottish League. I feel like when yeah. they come to the Championship, to the Premier League, if there is this expectation and there's this huge kind of like fee over their head, which in the Championship we've even seen a couple of times, clubs paying silly money for, for unproven players, I feel like that is just a recipe for destruction I mean <laughs> yeah first one off the top of my head Fernando Torres perfect example I feel like if there was no price tag and no expectation right. there, I feel like he would have picked up his his, his Atletico form and his Liverpool form okay easily. at Chelsea yeah yeah, yeah. 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 I think that's yeah. where we got kind of lucky I feel like it was uh, yeah how is um, how's Johnny Russell thought of among the rest of the Derby fans then is he just uh, is it do you think it's just you that has this affection for him or do you think it's right across the board he's he's one of the He's kind of like a, um, I think from what I've seen, he's one of the, the, the memes where it's just like the whole the one that got away thing. <laughs> like people, Derby fans will post a picture of like Johnny right. Russell or Jamie uh-huh. Ward, um, even Connor Salmon. And then next to it, they'll have the meme of the, guy, of the guy crying <laughs> underneath like the, the smiling mask. <laughs> yeah. That was, yeah. Like that I saw one the other day that was Johnny Russell holding up his, um, his new jersey in the States uh, when mm. he signed. And uh, yeah, someone put next to it the meme of the guy crying underneath the, the smiling mask. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I feel you, bro. I feel you. <laughs> I mean, we're talking of ones that got away, Pat mm. Bamford. Uh, You're not fast about Pat Bamford? I'm, I'm not at all. And <clears throat> being someone that's followed both Chelsea and Derby, I, I still, to this day, have absolutely no idea how he's managed to weasel his way into that lead side. I have absolutely no idea. He has been the most... What's a good way of putting this? He's been the most porridge footballer for so many years. <laughs> for so many years. He's scored like an... He, he can't have scored a higher average than maybe like seven goals a season for the last like eight years. How old is he now? 27 now. Yeah. I have no idea. Suddenly... Patrick Bamford is such a strange player because he he's... I don't know if... Um... If you if you follow a guy called Joe Stevenson on Twitter, right? This is a bit of an aside, but he does this thing where each year he tries to do a rundown of who is the most like take for exist for example is like who is the most twenty fourteen footballer you can think of? It's James Rodriguez. <laughs> who's the most twenty yeah. fifteen football right? And he does this competition every year. Who's the most uh, this year was who's the most twenty twenty footballer you can think of? And it Patrick Bamford won. And because yeah, I can see that. It, they, it's these players that seem to encapsulate one specific year in football, and because of like the the lead side and stuff that he plays for, I think that Patrick Bamford is like he's he he's the embodiment of twenty twenty football, and then next year we won't hear much about him. <laughs> I think yeah, someone 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 at Leeds United must have been pulling some strings and must have outrageous faith in the guy because yeah, yeah it I, might just be like a Victor Moses situation where it's like right man, right system, right manager. Potentially, because yeah. Because he's had he had a really good season at Middlesbrough one, I think, when they when they got promoted in twenty fifteen, I think. But that 
I I want to, but I th- I think that's the only really strong season, like full campaign he's had. Yeah. Up until obviously now he's gone to Leeds and is obviously like one of Marcelo Bielsa's yeah. like love child. I mean, so, he's, he's one of the kings of shit houseery, so I'm I'm not surprised he fits like a glove at Leeds and with <laughs> Bielsa. <laughs> <laughs> Right, midfield pairing. Should we talk about the midfield too? Yes, we've got um, we've got Ronaldinho and Juan oh, Romano yes. Kelme. Arguably, mm-hmm. two quite quite similar players. Um, <clears throat> so Ronaldinho, to keep it short and sweet, that goal against Chelsea kind of cement, oh, cemented it for me. Yeah, um, yeah, still one of my all time favorite players. Raquelme is kind of a weird one. He from what I remember if I remember correctly he was kind of like in and out of the Argentinian national side um, but he was one of those players that you would always 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 see highlights on in the um, right. soccer AM kind of like you know when they mm-hmm. back in the day when they do like the uh, showboat the showboat oh, yeah. section he was always in that with, like without fail every single week and I was like yo who is this guy I love this guy um, Yeah. and yeah I, I followed him for quite a bit um, and yeah for Boca just outrageous i think yeah after seeing him on on um on soccer m a few times i like started investing sort of like a bit of interest in him um and yeah i mean one of my all-time favorite players easily like like i said arguably kind of a similar player to ronaldinho which i think why i kind of i kind of like him i really like that kind of flamboyant kind of trek artista kind of central midfielder Um, yeah he plays that like that number 10 role yeah Kind of perfectly like a, yeah like a Roman playmaker um, sort of thing he was in that that Villarreal side that I think Arsenal Arsenal played in the, in the semi-final of where their Champions League run in like 2006 and I remember watching a lot of him that year and he was absolutely outstanding in the middle of that middle of that Villarreal like midfield yeah and then there's the 2006 World Cup that year as well where he played in the centre of the park for Argentina um, and yeah just yeah, utterly outstanding yeah big big fan um, Raquelme's like a weird one in terms of I don't know I, so there, there's a bit of a I, I do another podcast about World Cups and there's there's a running joke on there that Jonathan Wilson the writer gets brought up quite a lot okay. and he did he's written a book called Angels of the Dirty Faces which is just basically the history of Argentinian football yeah and uh, Argentinian like football fans have this um, it's the term called I think it's called La Pausa which is it basically just means the pause and in like Argentinian football culture, it basically it's the moment between where like a number ten stops the ball and like just before he plays the pass into the into the striker to to score the goal, okay. and it's like a it's like a it's like a moment that only that number ten player can see. Like the whole world stops. He's about to make this pass, and that's called like the pause. And it's like apparently it was was either coined for Raquel May or he's like the embodiment of it. And like he's really well thought of among like all Argentinian fans because he's. He's like the embodiment of that one tiny little yeah, yeah. idiosyncrasy in Argentinian football. That's, that's really like interesting, him. actually. Yeah, yeah, it's like a whole chapter on it. It's really cool. Yeah, that's interesting. Really interesting. You, interesting. You chose Ronaldinho and Raquelme as a pairing as well because something we pulled up just before this was when Ronaldinho signed for Barcelona. That basically signaled the end of Raquelme's Barcelona career. Yeah. So I mean, oh, okay. So there was that one in, one out. Yeah, it was mm. it was Ronaldinho in, and then Van Gaal loaned loaned him out to Villarreal for two years. So yeah, interesting. You chose him as a pairing. Yeah, I think I think mine mainly comes from like, yeah, I think mine mainly comes from his earlier earlier career. Um, 
when he was in all of kind of like the highlight reels when he was playing in the mm. uh, in the league that he was in for Boca, I think that that's when personally for me anyway that's when his kind of I don't want to say that's when his prime was but I feel like on an international stage I think that might be where he kind of shone the most maybe in my opinion anyway mm-hmm. yeah um but yeah right mid Cristiano Ronaldo at United um I I really really something I really really loved about Ronaldo when he first came is that he had like he had a couple of months at the start when he was kind of adjusting as expected for a 17-year-old, you know, joining the Premier League at the time that he did where, you know, everyone was sending tackles through your knees, especially for someone <laughs> like Ronaldo. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I really, really loved the way that he kind of matured into the Premier League and mm-hmm. turned into this kind of... He kind of turned into this this player that kind of... He knew that he was going to get absolutely hacked every single game, but he didn't take anyone's shit. He became, he became. If you go back and watch some highlights, he became such a shit house. I loved it. I absolutely yeah. loved it. I loved the way that he'd wind up teams, and he'd be kind of like in Martin Keown's like ear all game, and then he'd score a ninety. <laughs> he'd score like a ninety fifth minute winner, and then run off and shush the, shush the, shush the home fans. <laughs> There's like no fear to some of his performances as well. He's yeah. doing like all these like cross chops and rabonas and stuff up against like. 35 year old Bolton defenders and yet he, he knows he's going to get at some point his ankles are going to get taken away from him completely but he's still going to continue to do it for the full 90 minutes that was yeah, like exactly. beautiful about watching Ronaldo in his early days yeah I think yeah I think when he came in he was kind of yeah I think he, he was he was fortunate to have the players around him that he yeah, did to kind absolutely. of show him the ropes of you know how to conduct yourself in the Premier League because I think he started off kind of you know doing the classic kind of throwing himself to the ground trying to just sort of like cheat or win the foul so I, yeah. think, I think he was fortunate to have the players he did around him kind of some very strong heads in that United yeah, team like, I imagine like, Paul Scholes Gary Neville Ryan Giggs I think Ruud van Nistelrooy yeah. allegedly made him cry a couple of times in training <laughs> I'm sure Boykin uh, gave him me. a few clips around the air <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah but yeah also undoubtedly kind of one of the best players to ever kick a football so I think he was yeah for me he was a no-brainer to slot into that that right midfield that right midfield position although Something I did kind of question myself on a little bit is how I'm gonna how I'm gonna play Ronaldo and Moses in the same team. Not because I'm comparing them in terms of talent, because <laughs> I'm not doing that at all. One complete just overlapping the other. Yeah. There's no defense whatsoever yeah, going exactly. on in that, I guess... on that right side. <laughs> yeah, I guess we can. Yeah, we'll work with it. We'll see how it goes the first couple of games, and if I get the sack, I get the sack. It, it'd be like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be a fun ride, no matter what. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Going to be scoring goals, but also going to be leaking mm. goals for fun. Um, two strikers. I've gone with um, Ronaldo, uh, number nine, uh, in his Madrid days. Um, he was another player that I really, really fell in love with, along with Rivaldo for a, a comical reason uh-huh. uh, in the 2002 <laughs> World Cup. Um, yeah. yeah, when Brazil kind of stole the show at World Cup. Um, yeah. yeah, one of the most prolific goal scorers of all time. I love Ronaldo. Unbelievable sense. Ronaldo. Everything that you want from a number from from a number nine. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> partnered with partnered with Didier Drogba. Um, I heard a debate. I kind of want to touch on something here. I heard a debate the other day. I won't mention the podcast, but I heard a debate, and there was more people in favor. Sorry, there was less people in favor of Drogba than there was in favor of the point that Harry Kane is supposedly a better striker than prime Didier Drogba, which I am not having at all. <laughs> um, so opening a can of worms mm. now. 
the tell thing, me about it. The thing with the thing with with that is, and I think this is something that people have to take into account nowadays. Is we can compare players all we like, but unless players are going to show the same sort of tendencies, like you know, in 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 very oh, fucking lost my word in there. Unless you can't really put Harry Kane and Drogba in the same sort of mold for me. Drogba is this powerful super physical stamp of authority and i feel like kane doesn't really he's not really got that same embodiment kane very much he's 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 always pulling pulling off the man or he's always like trying to find the space or sort of yeah he's a channel channel striker. yeah exactly he's a channel striker and the more we see him now dropping deep to play the balls drogba would never have done that drogba was very much you know I am. He's a he's a focal point, isn't yeah, he? He's, a, he's the attacking focal point. Exactly. I'm occupying the back two in the middle. I'm going to cause trouble. You know, very much like the way that Cavani, Cavani plays. Like, yeah, Drogba is that big presence, a big authority, the target man. And while Harry Kane has some of those tendencies, I think they're just two different players. So I understand like the yeah. debate, but I don't think. I mean, for me, as a pure striker, I love Harry Kane, but I I would choose Drogba. Matter into a trap. What about that? Chelsea's man for the big occasion scores his biggest ever goal in what may be his last match for the club. You can't write it. What a header that is! It's. A, I don't know. <laughs> I think I would probably go the other way, but it's not a knock on Didier Drogba. I think what it it, it really does. We're going to open this debate up. I think it it depends on what you're looking for in in a. It, it depends on how you're tactically setting up your team because because Didier Drogba is this like attacking fulcrum. Like he's the focal point. He's the spearhead of that attack. He's a con- very conventional number nine, and he's he's clutch. Right. He he comes in with important goals when you need them. Whereas Harry Kane is more. I think he's. he's it's the tactical versatility of having Harry Kane that can move throughout the centre of the park. I think we might have touched on this last week a little bit with Ben, where he he occupies the entire of the centre of the mid of the mid uh, of the middle of the park from centre circle right up to the penalty box. He can play, um, he, he can he can play in Son on the on, on like who who will who will finish off the attack, or he's able to to score from inside the six yard box. Whereas as Didier Drogba was consistently, um just a nuisance in the penalty box so yeah. i think it, it depends on how you're tactically set up a team they're not really that similar players so i don't know why you'd kind of like where that debate opens up with but i think i loved didier drogba i thought he was i thought he was fucking brilliant for marseille and i thought he was excellent for chelsea it took him a little while yeah. to, to to start scoring for chelsea but once he did he's become an absolute icon of that club and for good reason yeah i think where where my side of the argument kind of lies is i think it i think it's two things i think firstly i think and I, 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 I know he got a golden boot, but I think Harry Kane has a big, big tendency to disappear in big games. And the reason why I say I know he got a golden boot is because I know that so kind of the response to me saying this is going to be like, oh, well, what about the what about the World Cup? We have to remember that we had probably the easiest England had probably the easiest run of games ever of any. It was a very kind draw. It, was, it yeah. was very. It was a very polite draw to England. Um, I think in recent times of kind of you know Harry Kane's career at Spurs, I think he's he's kind of he's found a tendency to disappear in big games. Um, whereas Didier Drogba, again, this is this is just my opinion. Didier Drogba single handedly 
won Chelsea those big games. He single-handedly yeah. won Chelsea won in the, the Champions League. in 2012. Yeah, yeah, he won the yeah. Cup and the Champions was League. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it would. So another way that I try and think about it is, if Harry Kane was in that Chelsea team, would he have, you know, would would the outcome have been the same? I know that's quite a broad argument to pose, but it's a nice little what if question, though. Yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah, exactly. It's quite uh, yeah, it's quite a broad kind of question to pose, but you have to look at it that way because you know Drogba is the reason that Chelsea got those two trophies in that season. He is yeah part of the reason why Chelsea scored so many goals and won so many trophies in that kind of six seven ish year period that they did um from kind of Jose Jose Mourinho's first season onwards um yeah but yeah Didier Drogba's in that and also what I was going to say the second reason why I think he is think he's the better player is in in football you have these kind of elite kind of you have you have this elite kind of tier of players for strikers you know you've got R9, you've got Samuel Eto'o, you've got Ibrahimovic. In my opinion, Drogba, whether it be near the bottom end of that tier, Drogba does slot into there. I can't see Harry Kane making that cut anytime soon. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, I, I, there's, there, I don't know if there's a big enough body of work, I suppose, for Harry Kane yet. But mm. I like the idea of a tier system, though, because in terms of like arguing how good players are because you can argue till you're blue in the face over whether you know oh dude yeah don't get me wrong is, so much is of it is subjective Zlatan. so much of it is subjective yeah but i think when you start to tear them out and like you know could you compare someone in tier one with tier two that's when the real argument starts i think that's that's better than just comparing whether mm. you know who's better out of messi and ronaldo well they're both fucking amazing so what does it matter <laughs> but who's better like, yeah. like, like messi or harry kane that's when you start to like those kind of debates where there's clearly some kind of difference that's how yeah. you can start to I think yeah I no I, I think it's, it's I like important the idea of a tier to, system yeah. I think it's important to reiterate that that was the I was only look, kind of looking at it that way because I was tr- kind of trying to I was basically trying to put into words why I think Drogba was the better player and I think if you have that kind of that group instead of tier let's say group that group of players that when in you know 50 years time we're looking back on this kind of era of football and we're thinking who were the you know you know the top top players from these positions in my opinion, Didier Drogba would fit into there, one and, way or and another. Yep. Also, I mean, you know, his career's a long way from over yet, but I don't think Harry Kane's won a trophy yet, has he? No, 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 no. trophies, no silverware. No. So, you know, judged by your judged by your successes at the end of the day, Drogba's won a lot. Yeah, I will give Kane credit where credit where it's due. Though I think if if the positions were switched and Drogba was at Spurs for as long as Kane's been at Spurs, I don't think Drogba would have would have stuck it out the way that Harry Kane has. <laughs> I think he would have. I think he would have chomped at the bit at the first offer that came in from from Madrid or Barca. <laughs> yeah, well, that is an extremely strong eleven. Like I, or in terms of extremely strong, you've got some extremely strong players in there, and then just some great, like just some really interesting choices. So in so. terms of really strong, I just kind of wanted to touch on upon um, Richard Keogh at the back. He's in my, in my opinion, he needs to be highlighted there in sort of big yellow, yellow highlights. Are you choosing him as captain? Oh. Any more silly questions? <laughs> <laughs> okay, of fair course, point. Of course, of course. If there's any man that's going to lead that yeah. kind of team, there's one man for the yeah. job, it's Richard Keogh. Okay. I love fair the point. idea of Richard Keogh bossing Ronaldo around. <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah. Get up. <laughs> his yeah. eyes, being put into that starting eleven, his eyes would go wider than they already are. Than mm. their default setting. <laughs> yeah. What am I doing lining up alongside Cristiano Ronaldo? <laughs> yeah. 
Um, we give poetic license for three substitutes from the world of music. So yeah. would you like to explain your choices for the three yeah. subs? So I've got three. I'll keep it. They're relatively kind of short and sweet answers. I think okay. we're going to go. I think we're going to start with, I think we're going to start with my kind of backup, backup target man. I say, I, I think you should say, I don't think Didier Drogba or Ronaldo are necessarily target men. I think Drogba's more of a poacher and Ronaldo's just more of a complete forward. So big nasty is uh he's he's sitting upon the bench as you know that target man if we do need to play route one football yeah um he's your akin fenwa oh i was literally yeah. gonna say that <laughs> <laughs> your van dykes and your ramosis of the world yeah will the last thing they want to be seeing is someone like big nasty running at them attacking a ball into the six yard box um <laughs> also the, the trash talk would be off the scale can you imagine? Have you seen? Have you seen? Um, have you seen the show that he hosts and the amount yeah. of shit that he chats on, on the that? Channel imagine, Four one. Yeah, yeah, imagine him on a football field. <laughs> be incredible. I'd pay. I'd pay That'd to see. It. I'd pay to see. It. I'd pay to also see him in like you know in like the Australian league how they've started recording um, the referees' microphones. Yeah. Yes. I'd love someone to hook him up with a microphone in a football oh, that'd match. Be gold. And just live stream it. It'd be unbelievable. They need to do that on like a soccer aid. They need to mic up some of the players in soccer aid next mm. time. Yeah, yeah, that'd be class. Um, okay, so second one is uh, Charlie Puth. Um, okay. Very, very simply, he's he's going in net because he's unbelievable with his hands. I don't know if you guys have seen him play, seen him play piano. Yeah, isn't he? Oh, isn't okay, Charlie no. Puth like pitch perfect. He's pitch perfect, and he's a jazz pianist, or he he's he's been raised incredible on jazz piano. Oh, unbelievable, so so good. If there's yeah, I I advise you guys to go and check out his Instagram after this and just sit there for hours scrolling through the videos. He's unbelievable. Um, you learn something new every day. <laughs> yeah, so we've got Charlie Puth, Big Nasty, and then he probably won't, but I hope he never sees this and this never comes back to bite me in the arse. But every team needs a pretty boy that's going to cheat cheat his way to a penalty. <laughs> so I've gone with Paul Klein from Laney. Um, yeah. oh, Paul, yes. in advance, I'm really sorry, mate. I really like yeah. your songs. I think you're a fantastic musician, but... When push comes to sho- when push comes to shove, and I need someone mm. to go down in the box in the eighty seventh minute, mate, it's got to be. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he had that star appeal girlfriend, you know. Well, I mean, he did have that star appeal girlfriend when he was going yeah, out exactly. with Dua Lipa. He, bring, he yeah, he bring, he brings a brand to the club, you know. Yeah, he brings yeah. in shirt sales. Yeah, loves Would a bit you, of um, Adidas. Exactly. Can I can I ask a quick like musical based question yeah, though? Sure. In so, so in terms of Laney, like, would you consider mm-hmm. them? Uh, are they like an influence of yours or something? Because thinking that like. I was listening to some shaded tracks the other day, and I just got Laney vibes the whole way the whole way yeah. through. So, is that intentional or? Um, I think they are definitely one of my personally kind of like my biggest kind of modern day influences yeah. for sure. And that's not necessarily just the music. I think it's what well, by that I mean it's not necessarily kind of like the instrumentation or the vocal melodies or the lyrics or anything like that. I think a lot of it is just down to the feeling that the songs give you yeah um, i think that's kind of what i was picking up like yeah. i just uh, immediately like putting on some of the tracks that i was listening to on i think it was maybe last monday yeah. and yeah just immediately was thinking oh this is very like laney-esque mm. and i was i kind of had this in the back of my mind to uh, to try and shoehorn in but i don't need to shoehorn it in because we're literally talking about the guy from laney so <laughs> yeah no so when yeah when i was going through kind of like a really tough time in my last relationship um it was in kind of like a pathetic fallacy kind of way it was it was the middle of winter, so it was absolutely freezing cold. It was miserable outside. I was sat indoors all the time, just kind of, yeah, just being a miserable, mopey mess. And listening to Laney's first EP when I first kind of discovered them as a band, 
just gave me that kind of feeling of LA and sunshine and kind yeah. of, you know, skating, skating down like a, a really wide kind of sunny road in like Los Angeles or something like that. And kind of just, it, it just gave me that kind of like warm feeling. So I think that's, yeah, they've inspired me in kind of like, kind of like a, yeah, like I, like I said, kind of like an emotional kind of like feeling sense in the way that kind of like the music that they write kind of makes me feel um because their instrumentation and stuff is actually super super simple they've just made it work so so well because i think i think paul's got the kind of like the perfect voice for their kind of they're, they're one of those bands that you can't really describe the genre it's kind of like a synth wavy kind of emo pop yeah maybe? it's like an amalgamation of so many things yeah. into one and it's... i think the fact yeah as well it's so original as well that's that's kind of the best thing about it in my opinion it, it's I, I remember that um i think the ep with the flowers in sync they've got that song forever yeah one mm-hmm. of that that beat is like it's one of uh, one of my favorite beats i think i think even i'd say it's one of my favorite drum drum beats now like the it's it's so linear but it's that feeling where the where they fit the synths in between the kick and the snares and it gives yeah. you that proper like duran duran feel do you know what i mean definitely yeah and the fact yeah. that it's just it's comes in straight away everything comes in straight away and that drum beat is going all the way through front yeah to back. it's got some tears for fears feel in there but it's so like you know it's so appropriate to modern to modern songwriting yeah. and yeah for sure but yeah sorry to, yeah to answer the question yeah for sure laney are definitely one of my biggest kind of current influences <laughs> yeah well done for bringing that have back you noticed around. have you noticed how much i sidetrack when i start talking about something <laughs> <laughs> this is the place to do it that's why i quite enjoy true. doing podcasts very, very because true. it's not like live radio where you have to keep things onto a time like if things yeah. go over it really doesn't matter <laughs> um so i so, so finishing it off um i mean matt you 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 had the idea for the walk like for the songs choices so mm. what uh what have we got walkout is um and it's important to remember right so you know like i think it was like two three years ago they they brought in the whole thing of kind of like pre-game production for the team for the cameras where they kind of like dim the floodlights and they'd like get kind of like you know sparklers and fireworks going in the stadium (laughs) it's really important that that that, that's a key part of this walkout song so it's it's butterfly effect by travis scott okay are you you guys familiar with that track uh i'm not really too familiar with travis scott tracks to be honest except for the one um is it on astro world it is on astro world yeah yeah so it's one of those tracks that um it kind of starts off with a really kind of like lo-fi warm kind of like synth pattern like melodic rhythmic synth pattern and then everything just kind of explodes in and i think that's that's the point where the teams are going to walk out with the fireworks when it kind of all comes in um but yeah you got if, if you haven't already listened to that track you'll hopefully you'll you'll get my vibe okay <laughs> that's my homework then. <laughs> <laughs> um goal song is electric feel the chorus by mgmt um, Great song. i was I, I went down the when I was trying to think of this, I went down the path of like early to mid two thousands like Brit rock, like that sort of thing. Yeah. But the, the, uh, Chelsea Dagger. Yeah, literally the first the first song that came to my head was this one. Purely flat chorus. I'd Excellent. say in, instrumentally, instrumental as well. We don't need any vocal, we just need the instrumental. Mm-hmm. I I love yeah. Have you seen that video of Kid Cudi dancing on stage to it? I think it was Coachella. <laughs> yes, so good. Yes, so good. Just absolutely yeah. vibing. Probably drunk as hell, but so fun. yeah. Great band, great song. Dude, it's just a timeless. Yeah, it's timeless. It's one of those just completely yeah. timeless songs. I think so, also. So I think is it a FIFA soundtrack song? 
it was. I want to say FIFA. Maybe it was. I think it was pre Ultimate Team. I think it was maybe like FIFA eleven or ten. Pre the death of FIFA, then. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> Ultimate <laughs> pretty much. Team, please. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, well, that's, that's my that's my goal song. That's my goal song. Perfect. I think we yeah we're we're, uh, we're going to put together like a match day playlist as well. I think so. We're going to oh, ask yeah. you for a few a few picks for that. I think. Have you have you got any ideas of what you might want to put on the match day playlist? I have. I'm, I'm I'm very proud of this playlist because I feel like it perfectly kind of embodies the whole kind of heavy metal aspect of this podcast. I said this before the podcast, the map. If there's ever a playlist that just screams brie, it's this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pig squirrels all over the show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, excellent. Well, we'll get that. We'll get that up on the socials as well, um, alongside the the team sheet graphic. Um, I think that brings us to an end. Pretty much. Yeah. Is that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Excellent. Well, Matt, thank you so much. No, thank you guys. That thank has you guys been a hell of a lot of fun. Yeah, really enjoyed it. That's uh, the first time I've been there. able to like. That's the first time I've been able to kind of like talk about football and music in the same kind of like the same conversation it's been really fun that's the beauty of this podcast yeah, exactly that's exactly what we want that it's exactly perfect for people like me <laughs> well but no, yeah guys it's been so sick thank you for having me and also if there's anything Excellent. that you want to shamelessly promote right now give it 20 seconds let's go let's go new shaded song new shaded song still a stranger out now released it on wednesday stream it buy it we'd very much appreciate it love you all very enjoyable chat with Matt from Mishaded. Um, yeah, as always, keep an eye out on our social channels for more info, match day playlists, guest announcements, all sorts of stuff. Matt, how did you think that one went with with the other Matt? Yeah, from yeah it was good. It was good. He's very well spoken, very uh, charismatic, and yeah, interesting. Yeah, it was, was really interesting. And Shaded are a good band too, good up and coming band. Um, as Matt plugged, I think he plugged comedy in the podcast, and uh, they've just released a new track called Still a Stranger, which is equally as boppy so yeah give them a listen yeah yeah as we said we will i mean we'll start to talk a bit more in these intros and outros when there's more things to talk about at the moment i'm just looking out of my window at well the snow that did fall earlier today hasn't laid so (laughs) i can't even talk about that so yeah listen out um and you know just tell all your friends and we will see you soon nice one